0: Good morning. Today is Wednesday, the 27th of October, 2021. Where in the Word are you today? Let me encourage you, if you have not yet been in the Word of God, get in there before you get out there into the world that God so loves. The only way that we can be living representatives, representations, representers of Christ is if we know Him if we abide in him, if he is in us, Christ in us, and we in Christ. So let's get into the Word of God today before we set one foot out there into the world that uh, that he so loves. One headline this morning out of Portland, Oregon, that I just want to lift up and address. I'm sure there will be more um, coverage of this, because right now the story uh, is only five sentences long. Um, and so <laughs> there's you say, well, the, the whole story is only five sentences. What could possibly be worth talking about? <clears throat> well, the five sentences are important. So in Portland, Oregon, uh, the Portland City Council made a decision uh, to offer bereavement leave bereavement leave, for employees after they have had an abortion. So the city council unanimously approved these changes earlier in the month. Um, and under the new policy, city employees are able to take off three days of work after an abortion um, or, notably, any other type of pregnancy loss. Bereavement leave uh, language is interesting here. Um, Bereavement leave is offered for those who have suffered a death. Um, And how is bereavement leave necessary if abortion is not Related to death, and and so I think there's an opportunity for a conversation here. Maybe there's an aha moment uh, taking place in the culture. It does give us an opportunity to point to something that has happened um, in a in a secular environment and say, okay, um, if if you're going to offer bereavement leave and that bereavement leave is going to cover pregnancy loss, and you expressly include in pregnancy loss abortion, um, then, then clearly you understand that abortion means someone has died. And let's talk about that. If someone has died, then at some point someone was alive. And so there's an opportunity here for us as Christians to enter into um, a very important conversation of the day um, and, and do so in a way that acknowledges the, the reality of life and the gift of life for the preborn. All right. Pastor Daryl Crouch, who heads up Everyone's Wilson, is going to join us next. Oh, we're going to talk about a lot of things. One of the things we're going to talk about is school. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mr. Daryl Crouch is back. He heads up an organization called Everyone's Wilson, um, and he also blogs, and he leads community events and organizations, um, and he is a, a, he is a fellow sojourner um, in the conversations of the day in terms of how we apply the mind of Christ, not just individually, but corporately in the context of community, and that's why I like talking with him. So, Daryl, welcome back.
1: Carmen, it's great to be with you. Good morning. Good
0: morning. All right, so you had a pastor's summit. Um, first of all, why why is it important to get pastors together in a community um, around particular concerns and issues, and why did you draw pastors together uh, in relationship to what's going on in schools in your community?
1: Yeah, well, th- those are big questions. Uh, the, the, the the kingdom um, is really important, and um Jesus is building his kingdom. Uh, Local churches obviously help to build that kingdom and are vital to that. And if churches are part of this thing together, then pastors have to be together. And so we work really hard in our community to build uh, friendships that give opportunities for pastors to build friendships, but then for that friendship to go beyond just um, that friendship, but on the rails of those relationships to actually work together in this kingdom work that we share. And uh, local churches, again, have their own personalities, their own uh, uh, distinctives that are very important in a community. But there are some things that we can do together, and there are some things that we're doing better if we do them together, and uh, that we bring um, Jesus's work in every domain of our community uh, around the table uh, from time to time and say, how how can we be light in the darkest places, in the darkest corners of our community, the most vulnerable, marginalized. What can we do to, um, to shine the light of the gospel there and, and work together? So we come together actually every month. Uh, we come together for a pastor summit, a luncheon, and invite guests to come with us. And so um, this last one was with our uh, directors of schools.
0: All right. And so, first of all, I just love that. I love that you get pastors in your community together, and I love that you invite other, um, other folks from the community to join you and to help you understand what's happening and then how the church can come around um, and serve others in the community as well. And so what did you learn from the director of schools in terms of maybe, maybe the needs they are experiencing that they're hoping that maybe churches might collaborate in terms of meeting needs?
1: well it's it is profound, Carmen. I think our listeners really um some some of us are a bit insulated we um we uh, we're, we're a, a lot of us are fluent and, and we have a fairly normal life we go to work, we go to ball games we we do things we go to concerts and we have a couple of cars in our driveway and and so we we have a lifestyle that gives us a lot of opportunity but in our community in the second wealthiest county in our state uh we have at least one out of four children who are on, that qualify for free and reduced lunch. We have one school district with 4,000 students and another school district with uh, 19,000 students and um, the smaller district of uh, 4,000 half of their students uh, are in what we would consider at risk kids and have uh, vulnerable families. So that means and and as a as a whole between both districts and the way the math works, uh, we we have a, about a quarter of our students who live that way. And that means that they are not looking forward to Christmas break. By the way, mm. uh, by the time uh, by the time uh, that break comes and half of it's you know finished, by the time December 25th gets there, they're not having a good time. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough attention. They don't have enough care. And so. One of the district superintendents said to us, "said Daryl, we feed these kids twice a day, we clothe them, we educate them, and last night one of their parents committed suicide in the house, and so we are doing trauma care today for those kids. So that was on Thursday. So the the school, the burden that's on our public schools to uh, provide meals, breakfast and lunch." for a, a, a large percentage, really post-COVID, any kid who wants a meal gets a meal. But um, these kids get, uh, we the, the school districts are responsible to feed and to clothe. Uh, there's a family resource directors who work tirelessly, school counselors uh, at the individual schools who work tirelessly to make sure that elementary and middle school kids and often high school kids have a roof over their head tonight because their parents are being evicted and uh, they just need a couple of nights. Dental care, and I could go on, Carmen, but uh, impoverished kids don't have dental care. So they don't um, they don't learn how to brush their teeth, uh, they get gum disease, they get sick, and they miss school. Uh, they don't have access. Their, their parents or caregivers, their grandmother, whoever it may be, just doesn't have transportation and the wherewithal to do the things that a lot of us take for granted. So when we say that the, that the, that Christians aren't allowed to be in public school, that means that if you say that, if you, if you say, Hey, Christians are no longer allowed to be in public schools, uh, you haven't tried very hard. Yeah. You're not paying attention. Yeah. You're not just not paying attention. So the opportunities Mm -hmm. for the church to come around schools are enormous.
0: Yeah. And I want to I want to say here um, that the opportunities to come around teachers, I I know I know Daryl um, uh, would echo this immediately um, and is already engaged in this. But if you're listening right now and you have not come around a teacher who goes to your church, who lives in your neighborhood, um, you know, someone, you know, that is that is actively engaged in in education right where you live. I know we have a listener, Joe, who's really discouraged right now, um, and and so I just uh, he's a teacher, he's really discouraged right now, and so I want to lift him up in prayer as we go to a very brief break. Um, Father, you know the needs of those who are listening right now. You know the places where they're serving, you know the circumstances they're going to face today. you know the challenges that they're facing in their classrooms, in their school districts, um, as we want to lift them up to you. We also want to lift up every kid who's going to go to school hungry today um, or who didn't have a peaceful place to spend the night and the challenges that they're going to face um, in terms of paying attention and sitting still um, and feeling valued um, in order that they might be able to then turn and learn. So father, we ask um, your grace, your blessing, your sustenance, your provision, your protection, your guidance, your counsel, your wisdom, your grace on our schools. On our teachers, on those who um, labor so faithfully in classrooms across the country today, um, in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, when we come back, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk with Daryl a little bit about the challenges that pastors are facing today. We're looking at new research from uh, from Lifeway about you know pastors you know sticking around despite increased pressure. So that's some good news. We'll be right back. All right. um, We have a friend uh, who has texted in, says, I have a 29-year-old daughter who teaches fifth grade in public school. Um, It's been really hard. Appreciate your prayers. Um, Jim also uh, texting in, just recognizing the challenges that he is facing, not only in the classroom, but because of the particular advocacy going on in the school district um, of which he is a part Um, Advocacy this week um, apparently related to something that I'm not even aware of um, called, let me scroll back here in his message, um, called Ace Week. I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, Expanding education and awareness for uh, the asexual. So it's Asexuality Week in the school where he's Mm -hmm. serving. Um, Following just on the heels of, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, which was Bisexuality Week and a week that was Bi Week and two weeks before that. Was uh, like Rainbow Week, and so I just I just think there's just teachers out there facing real challenges in terms of Christians um, and worldview. So let's just be praying for each other um, for for the challenges that are being faced in in our public schools. And we recognize that um, you know at the center of all this is our concern for kids. And so let's let's stay focused on stay focused on that. Um, all right. So uh, in a follow up to our our last conversation, Daryl, you and I were talking about the. Myriad of challenges that our pastors are facing today, and a level of discouragement out there among pastors. But we've got research telling us that you know they're still sticking around. So that's some good news.
1: It really is good news, and I do think there's a narrative. I appreciate Lifeway doing this. I've, there's a narrative that uh, all the pastors are quitting, and you know there's an exodus out of out of ministry, and that's that's just not the case. Uh, certainly, there's the normal attrition that happens uh, with retirement and. Uh, uh, pastors moving from church to church, as the research shows, uh, but but really a lot of them are sticking right where they're at and uh, sticking it out and and staying faithful. And there's um, there are uh, pressures that are new in this era, and so I think that's that's what we all feel. The conversations are different, the issues are different. Pastors are being asked questions that we've never been asked before. We're we're not healthcare providers. We're not you know um, public um, uh, or you know politicians we we don't we're, we're not versed in all the the uh, policy issues that are happening in Capitol Hill and and uh, that are uh, scrolling across the news feed and so we we have been faced uh, pastors have been faced with enormous challenges over the last 18 to 20 months but um but they are faithful and sticking it out and continuing to preach the bible every week and lead their congregations and shepherd the flock that's among them and so um, I think we we just finished or we're finishing Pastor Appreciation Month, but the real sustainability uh, of pastors, um, you know, is is rooted in the prayers that that their congregations offer them, the support they offer them on a on a weekly basis, and uh, and to acknowledge that this is the, these are really in, in interesting times to say the least, and the questions that pastors are are facing, and the environment in which we're leading in is uh, is tremendous and it's new and and it's um I would say too the challenges I think are a helpful thing they're they're difficult but they are a, a helpful thing to help uh, as pastors disciple their people in in facing the difficulties that don't appear to be going away
0: <laughs> Yeah the difficulties that don't appear to be going away yeah. that could be the yeah. title of a uh, that's the, that's the title <laughs> of a good book yeah um facing the yeah. challenges and the difficulties that don't appear to be going away um mm-hmm. so um Eric Reed is going to join us next, and mm-hmm. I was thinking that maybe you could um introduce the audience to Eric Reed um because you know him so well
1: gosh, that's awesome i didn't know that, but um yeah, Eric is a great a fellow pastor and partner in the ministry here in this community uh he leads the journey church. And he's done that for, gosh, what is it you would know, 15 or 16 years and started the church here and um, has a deep sense of of theological um, um, conviction and and allows and and presents the the scripture each week in a way that's incredibly accessible, but uh, incredibly rich. And so the Lord is doing a great work through uh, the Journey Church and Eric's ministry.
0: Yeah, I just thought that it was kind of fun that um, I happened to have. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a God thing, right? Yeah. I happen to have two really pastors true. from the yeah. same community on um, in the same hour. So, um, so Daryl, when you think about uh, the challenges that churches are facing, the challenges that pastors are facing, um, the challenges that families are facing, and we take a deep breath in the culture, and you know, do we do we have all of these very heated conversations, you know, particularly surrounding, you know, vaccines and, um, and other things related to school. Um, how do we take the temperature down? Like, how do we as Christians in the conversations of the day, how, because I feel like you're really good at this, how do we bring the temperature down um, in the conversation?
1: Well, and I appreciate all that. And I think one of the things that's super helpful is that we're not always reacting to the headlines, that we're, we don't feel like we always have to have uh, a quick hot take on the issues of the day. Now, I know there's certain folks like yourself who, 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 who help us uh, interpret the headlines from a, a biblical worldview. That's super helpful. But as a, on a personal level, to feel like we are driven by the headlines is a very dangerous way to live. And um, uh, time in God's Word, uh, intimacy with Christ— helps shape the, the way that we relate to our neighbors and uh, the way that we have conversations around these things. And uh, that Jesus is driving our, our, our thoughts. It, he is shaping our worldviews. And we do have an answer for a watching world. And we do have hope and light for, the, for a needy world. But we don't always have to be antagonistic about that. That we're, it's us against them. Jesus said a lot about loving our enemies, and uh, I wonder sometimes if if God loves you know um, anyway that 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 there's that, that we may be the problem sometimes rather than the people that we think are the problems, and so because of, of the agitated heart that we seem to to, to nurture uh, even in the Christian community, and so Jesus had a lot to say with religious to religious professionals who seem to have missed their, their moment and their opportunity to be salt and light. And, uh, so I think as Christian folks who know our, our way around the Bible, we have to have a humble posture about that. Say, listen, we do have the hope of the gospel. We do have the truth of God's word, but the, the, the man in the mirror, the person in the mirror is, is where we need to begin. And that begins with a humble posture. And then we engage people. The other thing I would say is that we engage people as individuals, Carmen, not as not as groups. And so when we talk about uh, same sex couples or we talk about folks working through gender identity issues or we talk about folks who have different opinions about a whole host of things, those aren't those aren't voting blocks. Those are individuals. So imagine sitting down across the table with a cup of coffee and asking some really important questions. Uh, not to skirt the issue, but some really important questions, and rather than you know wagging our finger at them, I invite them into our lives and find out why they're feeling the way they feel and why they believe what they believe, and treat them as individuals. That's the way I want to be treated. I want to be treated as individuals, as an individual, and uh, for you to get to know me as a person because I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not a, a subgroup. I'm a I'm a person, and if we just treat people as humans, I think we we, we have. Well, the, it's easier to love humans than it is to love voting blocks. And um, so <laughs> I think if we get to know people and and learn to like them and grow to love them, the Lord does a great work in our lives and in their yeah, lives. I,
0: th- I think there's no question that real relationships, like actual relationships— um, are going to be the way forward. Um, these it's, this, it's the, the, the way that we think we know one another because we're you know both on the same social media platform. That that's just not reality. So, thank you. And We uh, long we gotta, for that. Yeah. Oh, we totally yeah. long for that. Yeah. It's, yeah it's the way God made us relationally. All right. So that's uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch. You can find him at Everyone's Wilson. Um, thank you so much. As always, we just we love our time with you.
1: Ah, uh, we love you, and and uh, tell Eric. Hey.
0: I will. I will. We'll be right back.
2: Yeah. All right.
0: Processing through the death of a child um, is never easy. It is not the right order of things, Um, and yet it has been the reality of, um, it's been the reality since the very first family, right? So Adam and Eve had to bury a child. Um, Eric Reed, likewise, had to bury a child. And I think that the conversation about the loss of a child Especially when it happens in the life of a pastor and their family, um, provides a way for us to have conversations out in public, in front of everybody else, that are often only had um, in in very dark private spaces. And so, I so appreciate um, Eric Reed. I appreciate how publicly he and his family. Grieved the loss of, uh, of their son, Caleb, two years ago, um, how transparent they were at the time. Um, and so I've invited Eric uh, back to talk about the book he's written in relationship to this conversation, and Uncommon Trust, but also just sort of where they are now, two years out following uh, the death of their son, Caleb. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Tempting conversation with your teen can be like pulling teeth. You twist, you pull, and prod with nothing to show except a few mumbled words, a little drool, and a sense of frustration. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Here's a question to get the ball rolling with your teen. What's one thing you'd like to tell me that you think I should know? Wow. In housing over 2,500 teenagers in our residential program, I've discovered some rather surprising responses. One teen gave this tender answer. I wish my parents knew how much I need them. I was floored to hear a struggling teen admit that. Mom, Dad, take me up on the challenge. Ask the question. Maybe it's time to get the ball rolling and you'll get a painfully honest response. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org.
2: I know
0: so, I want you to just pause for a moment and consider what's the, you know, what's the worst thing? That has ever happened in your life? And did it happen to you or did it happen to someone that you love? Was it an experience that you had or was it largely the experience of someone else, but you love them so deeply and so the pain became your own? When I think about the life and testimony of, um, of Eric Reed and, uh, and his wife, you know, I I wonder if when Caleb was born, when their son was born, if Katrina and uh, and Eric thought to themselves, you know, what the the challenges that our little boy is going to face. This this is a hard day. Like this is a hard day for a child to be born. You know, anything less than what we consider perfect uh, today. <clears throat> and so, I wonder if at that point, right as their family and the fellowship of believers gathered around them to consider, you know, how they were going to love and serve this family that uh, had a child who was born with some very special needs. And then over the course of uh, of Caleb's life, when it became evident that he was going to need uh, a kidney transplant, like, what did that look like? And, you know, that, that time when he became so sick um, and ultimately... Um, had to rely on a wheelchair to get around, um, when your child loses functions that every other kid has, like, that's hard. That's hard. Those are hard days. Is there any harder day than the day that a child dies? I want you to think for a moment about the challenges that you face in your own life, how you face those challenges, and who you face those challenges with. Um, and then recognize that none of us face those challenges alone. No one faces those challenges alone. Um, and the pain, uh, you know, the pain of the loss of a child never goes away. It just changes over time. And so joining us now is Pastor Eric Reed. He and his wife, Katrina, have been very um, vulnerable and transparent about uh, Caleb's life and the challenges that they faced Um in terms of his health care, and they were very transparent on December the 1st, two years ago, um, when Caleb left this life to be uh, full-time in the presence of our Lord. Um, and he joins us now. Eric Reed, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Carmen, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So I'm holding um, a, co- a copy of Uncommon Trust in my hands, learning to trust God when life doesn't make sense. And I appreciate how transparent you are um in this book about, you know, your your journey um following Caleb's death. And so I wanna I just wanna acknowledge that it's not as if once our child goes to be with the Lord, um, then we just go back to quote unquote normal. Can you talk with us yeah. about what God taught you following Caleb's death?
2: Yeah. So so many of the lessons that we learned about suffering and having a theology of suffering and how to navigate afflictions happened before he passed because we always knew that there was a possibility. We also had to endure the uncertainties and the troubles of that day. And so, so much of our preparation happened before he passed. And maybe you would think after he passed, it would be like, you know, who that, 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 that trial's over. We've, you know, we've endured and finished to the end it just becomes a different trial after he passes. It just becomes coping with the loss and the sadness and the sorrow of not having that child any longer. It, it, it comes with navigating how to love your other children through their grief and teach them about the pain they're experiencing and answering the questions of why in their lives. And so, yeah, it just became a different kind of trial. The trial didn't leave. It just changed. I
0: appreciate how you um, focus our attention on Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Um, Maybe how has your understanding of those verses, reliance on those verses, or the meaning of those verses um, really been amplified in the last couple of years?
2: We know that passage is so familiar to Christians that it's often a cliche. It's often words without a lot of meaning underneath them. Even though we all resonate with the truth of those words, one of the questions that I begin to grapple with is, how do I do it? You know, trusting the Lord with all your heart sounds wonderful, but how do you actually do that? And as a pastor, I'm always asking the question, how do I teach the people that I lead how to do that? You know, and so this was a question for my own heart. This was a question of what does it look like practically? You know, not just to kind of wear the bumper sticker, but what does it mean to trust the Lord with all your heart and not lean on, on your own understanding? And so I really began to dive into how do you trust the Lord? What does trust really look like? And what I began to discover as I worked through that and this is the most important lesson for me, and I, I think it's still an ongoing lesson. Trust is not something you flip on and off like a light switch. It's not something you you can just kind of muster up the strength to do. It's cultivated, it's, it's nurtured. So trust, just like any relationship you have, is something that's based on the foundation of what you know about that person's character. Are they reliable? Can you put confidence in them? And you know, just like with human relationships, somebody can lose your trust in a moment. Um, You can put trust in someone and they can break that trust. And trust can be lost in a moment, but it's gained over time. And the same is true with God. You don't just learn to trust God. You, You begin to nurture a trust in God. And that comes as you walk in relationship with him. And so I really began to work through what does that look like and how does it get cultivated? And then what is the antithesis of trust? in terms of leaning on your own understanding. And I had to work through in what ways we do that as well.
0: So we're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Eric Reed in just a moment. You can find him at knowingjesusministries.co. Um, if you just type knowingjesusministries into your search engine, you're going to find him. You're going to find really great articles posted there, um, and you can also um, reach out um, and, and find Uncommon Trust Learning to trust God when life doesn't make sense. Eric Reed and I will be right back. When you don't move the mountains, We're talking with Pastor Eric Reed um, and the the resources that are available to you at knowingjesusministries.co, co. Um, if you just type Knowing Jesus Ministries into your search engine, this is what's going to come up. There, there's just a, a continual offering here of timeless truth for everyday life. Um, Eric is doing something here um, on this site that I really genuinely appreciate, and so um, we we'll probably circle back around to content um, on this website from time to time. Today, I just want to uh, remind and refresh everyone's memory related to Eric's family story and their experience um, of the death of Caleb uh, two years ago. And so let's talk a little bit, um, Eric, if we can, about anniversaries, because it occurs to me that December 1st is coming.
2: Yeah. You know, we, they always kind of loom in your mind. You know, they're coming. Um, I think there's an indelible impression left upon you when certain things happen. You remember smells and feelings and seasons you know when the weather starts changing and getting cold you know it reminds me of what the weather was like when we were in the hospital his last few weeks it reminds me of how cold it was when we were out at his graveside and you can't separate those things when when that happens and and so we know it's coming Uh, my wife and I were talking about it the other day um, you know it's just one of those things that it's good and it's hard you know it you you want to remember you want to reflect it's healthy to do that I think a lot of times when we suffer when we go through troubles we would like to kind of push those things out of our minds we 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 like comfort we like we like to be you know chipper everybody you know we live in a culture that would prefer to keep the happy face on and we don't know what to do with people who are mourning and in sorrow. It's uncomfortable for us. And I think even as people who suffer, we tend to want to push those feelings back sometimes. And it's, it's not healthy to do that. It's uh, it's right. And it's good to remember and to reflect and to think, even if it does cause sadness. Uh, I think it's one of those things that we sometimes try to escape those emotions. And I'm, I I mean, look, I'll just be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm not a crier. I'm, You know, I don't tend to, to dwell on sadness. And, and yet it's one of those things I'm learning. I've got to let myself grieve. I've got to Mm -hmm. let myself mourn. I don't have to just quickly turn the page and try to protect myself from those emotions. And so anniversaries are an opportunity to do that, to stop, to remember, to rejoice, to give thanks to God for his promises that we're clinging to also to hold one another. You know, my wife grieves differently than I do. And so, I need to walk with her through that. I need to, she was cleaning out her closet yesterday and she sent me a picture. She found one of his old Legos from when he was younger that were, mm. that was in her closet. And, you know, it was just one of those things where I I just had to say, I'm, I'm so sorry, baby. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Um, and that kind of stuff happens unexpectedly sometimes, you know, but during anniversaries, you know, you're entering into a time of remembering.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely um i I appreciated um how you talked about the same spirit that lives in the apostle paul lives in lives in me right, and so yeah. when I look at the way that Paul was able to um face with faith some very difficult and challenging experiences in his life, if I were to acknowledge that the same spirit lives in me that lives in Paul, I am encouraged by that talk- talk about that like, like there's this strange fellowship of suffering
2: there is. That's exactly right, well, remember Paul and the the early disciples all rejoiced when they had the opportunity to suffer because they saw themselves as suffering for the name they were suffering with Christ, they were entering into suffering with christ um It, it could be argued, carmen that we're we're the most like Christ when we suffer mm-hmm. you know our lord suffered he he was rejected by men, he was scorned he was physically beaten, and he died a physical death, there's really not an experience in this life that we can't say that our Lord doesn't know when it comes to pain, um, when it comes to, to relational problems, when it comes to physical ailment, he went through those valleys also. And so there is a sense of closeness and communion with Christ that comes in suffering and honestly, there's a dependence that we, that we have to learn in suffering. Um, there, there is a drawing near to the Lord because it's in our suffering. It's in our weakness, as Paul says, right, um, that we find that his power is made perfect. We, we find dependence and strength and sustenance as we're leaning on him in our suffering. So our suffering reveals our weakness. Our suffering reveals how our isolation can't sustain us. Uh, and we need to walk with the Lord but you know one of the things that i think is so important to understand is um you know paul suffered he he went through pain and he went through pain and recognized that that while he would love to not be in pain right he wasn't he wasn't someone who just said oh yeah this is this is fun pain was really painful for paul um it just like it is for us but i think the thing that we struggle with is we we want painless life all the way up to heaven, we we want we expect, um, I think unbiblically, that once we're Christians, you know, the Lord's supposed to just keep the path clear until we get to heaven. And Jesus doesn't promise that. He says, "In this life, you will have trouble. Um, the thorn in Paul's flesh is not removed." Christ says, "My grace is sufficient for you." And so we've got to learn that there's all sufficient grace in our pain and our troubles, and what we have to cling to, the same spirit that is in Paul is in us, is that to live as Christ, to die is gain, and that we are to go on living. We're going to live in dependence on him. We're going to live for his glory, and we know we've got precious promises awaiting us, that these present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the weight of glory that's coming. And so we don't just live with our eyes fixed on the future. We have a present hope. We have a living hope right now. Um, but we also don't grieve and mourn as those without hope because we have all the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. And that's why Paul could suffer different than how many of us suffer in this life today. So we've got to become more dependent. We've got to cling to Christ more urgently than what we often do. And that's how we sustain through suffering.
0: Hmm, I love that. I know we don't really have time to um, to to talk about this or explore it, but I just want to tell you that one of the things I really appreciate is that in your bio um, and the way that you continue to describe yourself, um, you still, you, and I use the word still, I shouldn't even say that that way, you describe yourself as having, in active present tense, having three children, Caleb, right. uh, Kaylee, and Kyra. Um, can you just comment briefly on that?
2: Yeah, you know, there's things that happen. When you lose a child, you, you're confronted with all kinds of confusing new realities. I remember the first time we went to a restaurant as a family, after his passing and they asked how many at the hostess stand mm. mm. and for so many years we had always said five and we had to say the word four and it was so sobering it was so just reality in your face and that kind of thing has continued to pop up when we meet new people and they're like oh how many children do you have or For my my little girls, even just recently on a school homework project, one of the questions for my daughter's project was, how many siblings do you have? And she said, dad, do I say this or do Mm. I say that? Mm. You know, she's seven years old and having to answer questions like that. And what we've decided and what we have determined to do in those situations is, while we may only have four of us here, we are a family of five. The Lord constituted this family. And, you know, in the new heavens and new earth, and when Christ returns and the dead are raised, we are gonna be the five of us. We we may, you know, my daughters may live on the other side of the world one day, you know. I may pass away um, you know, in the next month, but this is a family of five. God has brought together my wife and I in a union to marriage. We have three children. And even though one has gone on before us to the Lord, we'll always be a family of five. And that's a way for us to be reminded that nothing was taken away from us. Um, we are in the Lord's hands. And in the eyes of the Lord, we're a family of five. Caleb is in the presence of God. Caleb is living in the, in the presence of God. And so he may not be with us, but our family is still a family of five. I
0: love that. I love that. Um, Eric Reed, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can find Eric and things that he is writing at Knowing Jesus Ministries. Um, I highly commend to you uh, his book, Uncommon Trust, Learning to Trust God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stay tuned. Hey, text somebody else and invite them to listen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.